And uh, hello to our friends that are on online today, and uh, we're so grateful that you're with us uh, and that you are here to celebrate this Trinity Sunday with us today. And um, so we're going to be worshiping together. We're going to be receiving communion together, hearing an amazing message, and of course, praying together. Uh, and you'll notice as we go through these songs that a lot of these songs were uh, picked by members of our team, and we're thinking about songs and thinking about life. What are the things that have formed us, and what are the things that are continuing? to remake us. And so we're going to learn about that stuff and keep growing today. Um, if you are at home and you haven't already done so, uh, please make sure that you uh, get your bread and your juice and get ready so that you can serve or receive communion with us. Serve it to your family if you'd like. Uh, and if you have any inf- uh, need to know any information about what's coming up in the next couple weeks, you can find that on Facebook and also at ccmonline.org. So we say welcome online. So let's just take a moment and slow down a little bit. Take a few breaths. Receive the gift of Sunday. This beautiful day that you've given us, God, where we can slow it all down and sing and listen and pray and hope. Even as we slow our breath down and let go of haste and busyness and what we have to do, and we bring our attention to the one whose attention is always on us. Slow me down. Breathe for a minute and allow God's loving gaze to cover you as you slow yourself down here. Slow me down. Slow me down. Slow me down. Slow me down. So even as you're breathing, just be aware that God is closer than your very breath. And as you slow down and pay attention to the one who's always paying attention to you, there's fresh breath. And now listen for the prayer that Jesus is praying on the inside of you. Listen for the prayer. And let's be seated. You're going to have time to come up and pray with us in a couple of minutes. So if you haven't gotten a uh, a sticky note that you'd like to bring up, feel free to do that. 
And let's just stay in this moment of reality that God is in the slow work. Have you ever noticed that, that God's never in a hurry? I mean, maybe God is in a hurry sometimes. I'm not sure, so I could be wrong about that. But what I've noticed in my years is God is mostly slow. And so when I slow my own breathing down to connect with what is really true, I'm better on the inside. I'm less anxious. I, I receive life on uh, God's own terms, and I listen to the desire of my heart that I could have a conversation with God that is not hurried, but listens for what is most true. And I think in a season of celebrations, which I'm super happy to celebrate. Anybody who knows me, I love a good party. I create them wherever I go if I get a chance. And uh, I love celebrating our graduates. I've, I've had so much fun at some of the parties. I mean, I have to give a shout-out to Kristen Knight's wiki for saving any T-shirt her son ever wore throughout his life and then displaying them all throughout his graduation. Um, and it was, it was really something. I, I thought, wow, my kids, they, their box is this big. And I, I loved looking on Facebook and seeing that Gentry won a bunch of Olympic medals. Right? I love to celebrate the family of God and the ways that we are living our lives and the ways that God is showing up for us. And then I love it when people tell me how I can pray for them. I mean, that's one of the most sacred spaces. And, you know, we've been praying for one of our dear ones. Um, and, you know, I got to hug his mom today uh, and hear that he's home from the hospital. And it's, it's going to be a bit of a road for Matt, but he's on the road. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. And I, I think all of us, one of the things we love to do in church is to thank God and to pray to God. Like we show up to give thanks, friends, for whatever it is God has done, and we slow it down. Thanks for that song, Ron. We slow it down so that we can remember what to give thanks for and that then we can hear the prayer that Jesus is praying on the inside of us. Because you know, all Cognition or recognition is cognition. Like if you recognize that you need to pray, it's because God has shown you something and, and you've got something going on between you and heaven. And so your prayers are a sign of your connection with God. And so when we're praying today, we're praying together on Trinity Sunday which I love. Some of our passages today come from Genesis and Psalm 8 and Matthew 28, which I love. Um, and I love these passages together because Genesis 1 is about creation. And if you remember, the Spirit was hovering over the waters. And then God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit said, let us 
and the creation began. And then Psalm 8 talks about creation again. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have created everything for us. And then we remember, if we've been created like God, then we're taking care of what God's created. And we're looking at nature. We're looking at earth and, and sea and animals and humans with honor. And, and we say, oh, how would God treat this plant? And if you don't know how, ask our farmers. John and Nancy will help you, right? We've got, we have friends right here, Karen and Neil. We, I mean, really? Don't we have friends? The Heatons can tell us how to take care of the earth and God's creatures. And that's a part of what's called Trinity Sunday, acting like God. When I was a little girl, I was told I could not litter from the very beginning by the Dominican nuns who raised me. Littering is a sin. This is God's earth. You take care of it. You nurture it. Right? I was grateful to grow up um, with a mother who stopped every cashier and looked right in their eyes and told them something about themselves. Your eyelashes are fabulous. She looked for something in every human being to point out and see good in them. That's acting like the Trinity. When we think about Matthew 28 and then Jesus saying, I want you to go make disciples, baptize, teach, and I'll be with you always until the end of the age. You remember what Jesus said there? It's all authority. You could read it with me. In heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, say it with me, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, from Genesis to Revelation, by the way. Care of humans and animals and creation. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And when you take care of another human being, when you pray for another human being, when you reach out to an animal, you know, my our dog Zeus, our grand dog, killed a raccoon this week. Took it in his mouth, shook it like a rag doll. Lord have mercy. Dante was traumatized. It's like, what in the world? But that raccoon has been bothering my daughter's house, and Zeus knew what to do. By the Spirit of God, Zeus rose up in the name of the Trinity and took care of the family. <laughs> and so what I know is that there are instincts in us that come from God to pray. Instincts that cause us to sing and love and care and reach out. And so this morning, as our Sean and Gwen and Shannon come up to pray, we asked three of them together because we wanted a trinity on Trinity Sunday. We wanted to honor this kind of beauty that Rublev's icon taught us all those years ago, that the trinity has made a way to defer and prefer and refer 
that we are a multivocal church. Can you say that word with me? Multivocal church. Let's say it again. Multivocal church. That every voice matters. That when someone picks a song or a scripture or leads a prayer, something Trinitarian is happening in our midst. That we are, nobody is a celebrity in the kingdom of God. That Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are, are setting the tone for us. Like, let us make humankind in our image, right? Let's look to how God wants to make God's self known through each of us today. Could you just stand for a moment and look at one another? Our friends will gather up the prayers that have come and split them up three ways. Say hello to somebody. Greet them. Look at them. Tell them their eyelashes are wonderful. (laughs) Tell them you see Jesus in them. Tell them you love the Holy Spirit in your midst. Thank God for that song today. Like that is the gift, right? Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Look at this. Yeah. It's so important. Some, somebody give the Olympian a hug up here. Come on up here and give our Olympian a hug for all of us. Yeah. So good. So good. <laughs> and as you know, while our friends pray, we'll be praying with them, but we'll be gathering to come and receive communion. Remembering that again, Jesus didn't exclude anyone from the table, even the people he knew what they were up to the next day. Can I hear an amen? Which means you're all welcome at the table. And so together, I just want to say thank you for this table that on the night, Jesus, you spent with your friends, even those that betrayed you, you took bread, broke it, gave thanks and said, take it. All of you eat. This is my body given for you and for all. And every time you eat, remember me. And after supper, you said, take and drink, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant written in my own blood. This covenant is for the forgiveness of sins. And every time you come, remember me. So friends, together we say, Jesus, we remember you. And Jesus, all of these prayers together, we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory now and forever. And together we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Just a few uh, things to say this morning as we as we enter into continuing our worship and enter into the message. Uh, as a party a party season is upon us in the summer, wanted to let you know about an opportunity that the middle school group has. So if you are a middle schooler or know a middle schooler, um, Stacy and her team are taking the kids on a road trip, and so it's Wednesday, June 28th, to Craig's Cruisers. And if you know anything about Craig's Cruisers, it is go-karts inside and outside and trampolines and laser tag. And it's a lot. And uh, there's a fee of $28 per student. It includes all of that. It includes the transportation and an all-you-can-eat buffet. So um, there's only a few spots left. So if you haven't gotten your, your middle schooler signed up, you definitely want to. You can come on over to Next Steps News. I have a QR code that you can sign up right from the QR code or talk to Stacy or at, at Next Steps. Also, if today's your first time with us, or if you're back after a long time, we're so glad to have you with us. We haven't seen you in a while. Um, come on over to Next Steps and say hello, and if you'd like to receive our um, newsletter, we have newsletters that go out twice a week. So if you don't get those, you definitely want to get those, because that will tell you everything that's happening at Crossroads. And so there's a lot more happening throughout the week. So if you even connect uh, using the QR code up there, you'll be able to get those newsletters and see what's happening here at Crossroads. Morning, everyone. Yeah. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna do something a little different this morning, um, and I hope you'll be good with it. If not, you're probably not um, in love with Jesus. But anyway. <laughs> Only kidding, only kidding. But it might be true. Anyway, <laughs> I hope it's not true. Um, we're going to read a whole chapter. Um, we're still in the book of Nehemiah. We've got a couple weeks left, and then we're going into a summer series that we're really excited about, about being together in community. And uh, we'll be rolling out some details on that as we go forward, but excited about that. But the reason that um, I want to talk to you for a couple of minutes this morning um, about we about using our influence for good. We all have influence in one way or another. And chapter 5 of Nehemiah is just such a profound chapter. I, I think that when most people, when we approach, those of us that are all that in the church that are familiar with the book of Nehemiah, uh, we think that it's simply about a wall being rebuilt. And that certainly is part of it, and it's certainly a important part of it, but there's so much more. And chapter 5 um, is such a powerful example, and it goes into other chapters too, but chapter 5 contains so much about Nehemiah and others using their influence for good. And I just think it's such a great admonishment for us to pay attention to. So um, as, we, as we go through this, um, some of you in your Bibles, uh, you might have a version, my version, the one I uh, was studying this week, you know how I have like a label at the top of a chapter maybe, or there might be labels at a certain point. Well, chapter five, uh, it just says, in mine, it says, Nehemiah helps the poor. And um, it's really interesting because Nehemiah wasn't just invited and the people of Jerusalem and the Jews, they weren't just invited to 
rebuild a wall, they were invited to restore lives, including their own. And you can't exclude, uh, and the greatest example probably is you can't exclude the poor from that, right? Like sometimes in the church, because for instance, Jesus said that the poor you'll always have with you. Sometimes that gets used improperly, in my opinion, as an excuse. Actually, many times. It gets used as an excuse that, well, there's always going to be the poor, so therefore we just kind of keep living our lives, and that's just a reality. Although I think it's more of an indictment about our humanity when Jesus says, the poor you'll always have with you. Because maybe the invitation is really, why don't we pay a little bit more attention, and I say we as a uh, worldwide community, and certainly the community of faith, this is, this is something that should trouble all of us. Nehemiah comes, rolls into town, the wall gets restored, and there's this sense of all boats should at least have an opportunity to rise together. They won't all rise equally, right? There will still always be people that, I think part of the beauty uh, that we all have different levels of stewardship that we're responsible for, is that is our spot of invitation. So anyway, I love this chapter. I've got to tell you, it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. So let's read here. Now the people raised a great outcry. Just backdrop, the wall is just about restored now. The people raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews, and some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous in order to eat and to stay alive. We must get grain. Others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we've had to to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as their children. Yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Verse 6, when I heard their outcry, Nehemiah says, and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind, and then I accused the nobles and the officials, so the kind of the leaders, right, some of the leaders, I told them, you're charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. Let's stop there just for a second. So what Nehemiah is saying here is, He and others have brought their resources to literally free up people from, in this case, financial and bondage when it comes to things like food and and resources. He's purchased back from Gentiles, from outside of the city. He's purchased back land. They purchased back homes. They've done things to set people free. And then what's happened, what they've noticed is happening is inside of the walls of Jerusalem, the Jews that have resources, the nobles and the officials, as he refers to them as, 
they just start to operate just like the Gentiles were operating outside. The oppression continues because not everybody inside the walls was poor. So Nehemiah's like, he's, he's incredulous. He's like, we're paying for people to be freed of their slavery. We're, we're setting people free. We're helping them. And then you're putting them back into slavery and we have to buy them back from you now. It's amazing stuff. So verse 9, he says, so I continued, what you're doing is not right. Shouldn't we walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I love how Nehemiah constantly goes back to this term. It's used multiple times in the book of Nehemiah, reverence to God. Or here, this version says fear of God, but it's simply reverence, just honoring God. It's the driving force in Nehemiah's life is We just want to honor God with our actions. We want to, as Claire said earlier, we want to behave like God would behave. That's essentially what he's saying. And he's saying, now this is in some ways worse. The the wall has been rebuilt, and now we're a laughingstock because the people on the outside are looking at what's going on here, and they're saying, well, they don't believe that stuff either. Because they're just doing the same thing that we were doing. The scripture goes on. It says, My leaders and I are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, and also the interest you're charging them. One percent of the money, grain, new wine, olive oil. Now, he's referring back to just Jewish teaching at this point, that Jews weren't supposed to be charging interest toward one another or getting interest from one another. They weren't supposed to be taking land from one another. They weren't supposed to be taking farms from one another. They weren't supposed to be taking vineyards from one another or certainly not homes. So watch what happens. It's powerful. Verse 12, they say, we will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Could you imagine? This is unbelievable. But I'm going to help us all believe it. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So he asked for an oath, kind of like, you know, we put our hand on the Bible, right? And he goes on and he says, So shake out the possession. Anyway, so may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, praise the Lord. And the people did as they promised. Now, this is one of those verses, you ever read verses, like some things are harder to believe in the Bible than other things, right? Like some stuff is easier to believe, you know, some people really struggle. Like some people are like, I'm never going to believe Jonah was swallowed by a big fish and then regurgitated out on a shore. And I got, it's just hard. It's a stretch for me, right? So that's, that one's on the harder end of the scale, wherever you land. This is one of those verses. Imagine a whole community of people immediately saying, hey, you're right, we're giving back everything that basically we've taken advantage of people. All the money comes flowing back in, the homes. It's just, it's crazy. 
But there's the backstory. It goes on, verse 14, it says, Moreover, from the 20th year, so Nehemiah is going to give them a backstory and tell them about what's been going on. And this is what they have watched. And this is how Nehemiah has been able to influence them so powerfully and so quickly. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah until the 32nd year, 12 years, this is what he said, neither I nor my leaders ate the food that were allotted to the governor because he's been appointed the governor, right? But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to work on this wall. All my people were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Of course, it's always considered that land has with it some level of power. It certainly was true then. And he basically says, so I've been the governor, I've been leading this whole charge in one way or another, and you've watched for 12 years. And he says, for 12 years I have been living out, and my leaders have been living out a sacrificial example. He refers to the allotment of wine and food. He refers to the allotment of taxes that were rightfully his as governor, part of his compensation was from tax money. So as they would pay into taxes, he had every right to to accept that money. That was part of his income. He refers to the allotment of land and other things. And basically what he's saying is, I'm entitled to all of these things. When he refers to the other former governors, what he's not saying is they weren't, entitled to those things. But essentially what he's saying is they shouldn't have taken everything they took. To Nehemiah, the struggle for restoration went far beyond building the wall. It was about people's lives being restored. So he had every right. Think about it in your own life. Sometimes we have every right for certain compensations or gifts or whatever it may be, but it's not always the wisest thing or the most helpful thing to receive them. So Nehemiah is obviously a wealthy person. He's buying back homes and land and stuff, so he's not saying that he shouldn't have anything because there's other people that don't have anything. But what he's saying is there is a discernment And we're not doing a good job of paying attention to it. So he goes on, verse 17, he says, Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table. That's a big table. As well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Now he's he's going to break down what the allotment that he was entitled to was that he didn't take. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, Some poultry were prepared for me. Every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotment to the governor because of the demands that were so heavy on these people. Selah. Remember me with favor, 
O God, for all I have done for these people. What Nehemiah is saying to God is, God, bless me. Because, God, I'm committed to be a blessing. Show your favor, God. Because the restoration of people's lives, not just their resource lives, but their spiritual lives, as they get in, he gets into in later chapters, is at the forefront of everything he's doing. So he can boldly say, grant me favor, O God, because this is an act of worship to you, to exalt you, not to exalt my life. Remember me with favor, my God. Give me influence for good and let it expand for all that I have done for these people. There's a few things real quick to notice. As we think about kind of this moment and they're so relevant, you know, it's interesting when I read this, this is so, there's so, I see so many parallels to this and the book of Acts chapter two and the book of Acts chapter four, where they're all together in community and no one has a need, the scripture says. And then in the book of Acts where, uh, where there were people that felt like they were being mistreated, and that's when the diaconate was instilled and started in the book of Acts because they were just, they knew, the leaders knew that it was more than just about somebody giving their life to Christ. It was about their physical needs. It was about, it was about their places that they lived in, and it was about the restoration that needed to come holistically, that it was all so intermeshed and intertwined and so connected that you can't just pick and choose when it comes to a person's life what needs to be restored. We're looking for full restoration in our lives, right? And we pay attention to that with one another. The first thing you see is just his character or character, how character is important. When we try to pay attention to Nehemiah's influence, character. Character is the will and commitment to do what is right. Simply put, it is, it is to walk the talk. Nehemiah specifically says that he was busy on the wall. There was nothing that he's asking for that he wasn't willing to invest in in the most effective way. And that's one of the invitations for us. He refused his personal allotment. And I would also challenge us to think about this. There is this subtle but powerful thing that goes on in the book of Nehemiah and his incredible regard for the king who is not a Jew. And he, 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 he has deep respect even though he has different beliefs. He gives deep honor to the king and don't think for a minute the people at least at a subtle level even if they didn't realize, don't think for a minute that they didn't see a leader that gave deep respect for authority. I'm not talking about abuse of authority. 
I'm talking about authority. That is a part of character, paying attention to your own internal and external response to the leaders in your life and their influence. Because your character is showing. Albert Schweitzer said this, he said, example is not the main thing in influencing others. It is the only thing. To be living in character is essentially living in personal alignment. The alignment is between our beliefs, our expectation, and our actions. And it's not linear, it's this cyclical, it's circuitous, but it's kind of like a circle. Anyway, (laughs) beliefs, actions, expectations, beliefs, actions, expectations. And when that is, is, is humming along, your character shows well. The second thing we see is just simply sacrifice. Sacrifice is one of, if not the clearest way to demonstrate commitment. I would argue it probably is, but it's certainly one of the top ways to demonstrate commitment. There's two clear actions of sacrifice, two clear movements that we see with Nehemiah, and we see it in our own lives or with our friends or the people that we love or the people that have influenced us for good. We see them going without allotment. There is a place where they say, that is not mine, even though in some ways I deserve it. That is for somebody else. It's saying no to yourself, even when you have a right to say yes. Sacrifice shows up by going without allotment, and it shows up by being generous with what we have been entrusted. I love what he says. It's kind of like a caveat. He says, 150 people ate at my table. And then he lists all the food that he just, it sounds like he could have used some wine and food, right? It's beautiful. He didn't say I had to cut back 75 people were eating because you guys aren't giving me everything I deserve. But he's being generous with what he's been entrusted. Always remember, everything you have is a trust. You've been entrusted with it. It's a stewardship. You do not own anything. It is not yours. You are a caretaker for God. And we're invited to sacrifice by being generous with what we've been trusted with. And then lastly, time. You probably noticed that Nehemiah talked about 12 years A lasting influence does not happen overnight. I love the song we sang earlier about slowing down. And at first I kind of chuckled. I thought, well, it's probably my personality. I just, I'm a nine. If you don't know what that is, it's just a slow downer. You know, (laughs) that's me. I'm a slow downer. It's easy for me to want to slow down. I want to believe that's not the only way I operate, but I just love the song. At first I was kind of laughing at myself, but then it was... It was, you know what? 
powerful things happen over time. And good influence, lasting influence, will not happen overnight. So for those of you whose hands are heavy laden and you're weary and you're tired of the struggle that you're in or the struggle that your community is in or the struggle that this world is in, know that no lasting influence comes quickly. Be encouraged by that. Twelve years, he said, it took multiple amounts of large and small decisions for Nehemiah, followed by action. There were beliefs, there was expectation, there was action. There were beliefs, there was expectation, there was action. There was beliefs, there was expectation, there was action. And as they began to live into that, restoration began to come not just to walls, but to lives. It's powerful. So I have a couple questions for you as we pull this together this morning. And the first one is, I just want you to take a moment to consider who has influenced you for good. Who comes to your mind when you think about influence for good in your life? Let's just sit with that for a moment. might want to write that person's name down. Many of you won't need to do that because you won't forget this moment easily. I want to encourage you maybe drop a note to that person or text them today. Respond in some way and just thank them. Thank them for the good influence they've been on your life. And just share what might be emerging from your heart around that. I think it's helpful for all of us when we sense encouragement around the things that we're actively connected to or involved in that is a good influence. So share that with whoever that is. And then the question for us to head into the week with is this one. How will you influence others for good? I'm sure you've already done that in many ways. But in in this moment, going into this week, going into June, what might be the invitation for you to influence others for good? Because remember, folks, we are all in the restoration business because we are created in the image and likeness of God. And God is restoring lives. So what might we do to be a part of that? 
So, Lord, even now, as we head into our week, just help us, strengthen us, encourage us, we pray. Thank you for the beautiful examples in Scripture and the beautiful examples in this room of influence for good. Help us, God, be those people that are living community out in a way that's different than the world. Let the expectations, let our beliefs and our actions be in alignment with you, God, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Can we stand together, everybody? And let's just uh, bless one another. Bless our friends. Even as we walk out playing this song, uh, Slow Me Down Again, let us receive a blessing and give a blessing to our friends and neighbors in this room. God, I thank you for our friends and for family in this place. God, we thank you for uh, the reminder of the examples that we are to be to one another. God, bring peace into our hearts that we might bring peace to others. And God, help us to grow and to develop and to build our lives together. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. And if you'd like to stay and sing this with us, we just invite you to do that. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Thank you. God bless you. Oh, good shepherd, would you teach me how?